Mustafa and Ken here. Welcome back to the Alert Medic One podcast. Alert Medic One response. start recording then okay let's see where it goes welcome back we'll start by uh oh man i had it up and i put it down nremt resolution see this is why ems fails disorganization (laughs) lack of communication oh wait not 2213 incompetence 06 all right so basically uh national registry said that uh, there is now no limit on asynchronous online education for recertification. Is that correct? I, I believe. Right. I, I Like I said, I saw it on social media. I did not see the official. Yeah, so. this one's new to me, so I don't know anything about it. So uh, here it is, 22-resolution-06. I hate how that – I hate – I don't like saying Should we introduce our guests again since this is a oh, yeah, sure. separate yeah. episode? Go ahead. Josh? Hi, Josh, back again. Uh, paramedic firefighter with a agency in the D.C. metro area for the past five years and uh, Army medic for the past ten. Been doing this for 14, uh, no, I take that back, uh, 15 years. Mike L. Warner, uh, paramedic, been doing this for almost 15 years um, with the uh, Maryland State Police up in Orford County also at uh, Abingdon. Cool. So, the resolution, thanks for being on, guys, again. Yep. Uh, Therefore, be it resolved that the National Registry of EMT's Board of Directors directs the Executive Director and Chief Executive Officer to modify standards, applications, policies, and processes to remove limits on asynchronous distributive education and that this authorization is subject to the following parameters. This resolution is to be applied consistently to all requirements for continuing education, including recertification, state licensure, el- licensure eligil- eligibility requirement, refresher training after three failed examinations, and re-entry. This change with the accompanying rationale is to be effectively communicated to stakeholders. This change is to be fully implemented by September 30th of 2022 to avoid complications with the 2023 recertification applications. Thoughts on that? I don't know how much of a problem I have with it except for the clinical and skill-based aspects. I think those still remain, right? Because that's a state-level thing? Don't you have to – like, that's a that's not, like, the education requirement. That's, like, the skills verification requirement. Well, maybe what I'm saying is there should be some sort of a skills-based requirement in recertification processes. No, no, that still exists. Th- this is just the education component of that. So, so every right? two years they can go to the MIMS website and just do all the online right. per things again, and they're good for another two years. Yeah, so, so, ba- so basically you don't have to take like an in-person refresher. Right. You just have to do a skills refresher, or excuse me, skills verification plus online education. So Moose, you're speaking specifically to how Maryland does it. No, no, on the skills verification. Sure, yeah. Other states... I know when I had my national oh, yeah, in yeah, Texas, yeah. I submitted and got a card. Yes. That's yes. And there is yeah. there's no it's an in-house 
at your own station yeah, yeah. department yeah. for them to verify. So there's nothing at the state level there, but Maryland, we have our own state verification. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's, so I I can't speak to any other state. Yeah, I can speak to Texas and I can speak to Maryland. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on this? Well, Ken. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'll be and I I I'm I'm getting the sense reading the room here. I may be in the minority here. I don't know how much of a problem I have with it. Like, what are the what are the education requirements for other healthcare professions? Like, yeah, I mean, do I they require in person learning for everything? I don't know. Um, the little I know about in hospital, they have to take all those like competency exams over the computer and stuff right. like that. Yeah. I mean, that's what my wife does as yeah. a nurse. Is she does all her stuff yeah. online? And it, so. Uh, yeah, there's like board requirement. I don't know what physicians yeah, have to so do every ten I, years, but PA, isn't that online? PAs review? is every ten years. I think you get more out of an in-person class. I prefer an in-person class. Um, I just I don't know if this is the end of the world. I don't think yeah. it's optimal. I yeah. don't think it's the greatest thing ever. But I don't I don't know that it's earth shattering. Honestly, yep. I like it. I I, I think it's kind of cool that. Um, in an age where podcasts and everything are taking off, uh, I think it would be a great opportunity to you know be able to get your information asynchronously, uh, be, as long as the testing on the back end isn't just fluff. Yeah. Right. So, um, I'm kind of in line with what you said, Ken, but I think I'm more opposed to it than you are, and not by much. Um, there are some great online only refreshers out there. Uh, I'm not going to plug their names. Uh, if you're in this world, you have an idea who they are if you're on social media. They have some great programs. My issue comes with, one, the ability to get hands-on experience. So we use RCE programs to get that hands-on and you know not be a skills verification. So like, hey, if we're going to be switching to a new video uh, laryngoscope, we're going to get it into the CE classes first so people are getting their hands on it. Or if we're going to start doing point-of-care ultrasound, we're going to start in the CE. Just get like in people's hands, mm-hmm. talking about it, getting used to it. But if we take all that away, we lose our ability to engage face-to-face and be like, hey, how about you think about this? Or, hey, how about this? Because also that that online material could be old, outdated, not evidence-based, not up to evidence or the new standard, which we're finding with our online program, that what we contracted through is kind of stale, according to people that are going through. I don't have to because of the Army controlling my recertification, but it's stale. It's not up to date. It's probably three to four years old. And we know how we're advancing right now in medicine and EMS specifically, three, four years there's definitely stuff that we're not doing or we are doing now that we weren't doing three or four years ago or our understanding of certain things, you know? So it's going to definitely allow people to find other sources that might be better than what they're being offered by their agency or what they have now. But I think it also could in certain areas lead to issues with uh, skillability. I got, yeah, I got kind of like the same mindset on it. Like you, you lose a lot of it, right? I mean, we all know everybody. I mean, maybe at times we're, we're taking stuff, you, you, you let it play out and then you, you do the quick questions at the end or whatever and you pass it, or you just keep taking it until you pass it or you, 
you click it to the very end and then take it and stuff like that and you've you've ideally you know circumvented actually learning anything on it at least in the classroom as long as you can stay asleep or whatever you're kind of like forced to look at somebody you're forced to listen to somebody yeah exactly stand up <laughs> in the back of the classroom um so I, I i see benefit to it and stuff like that and and drawbacks it would have like you said you don't have the ability for the hands-on and stuff and you can only keep interest well at least i can in an actual video for so long before you start like you know doing something else um but you know to go to to your point i i like it because now it gives you more of an ability because you know before it was you can only have this much hours of online material to submit um, by opening that up, now you don't got to worry about, you know, focusing family and work schedule and then finding that like week long refresher or whatever, just so maybe you can like, you know, learn some new stuff or, you know, maybe you have to sit there and listen to war stories of the guy teaching it or whatever it is, but, but it allows you to go out and stuff like that. And I think that would be better served if, you know, your, your jurisdiction or whatever, gave you access and not even necessarily access like paid for it, but gave you the information of what's out there. You know, these, these organizations or whatever, um, that teach these classes that do con ed, you know, one in particular that I've, I've used and continue to use, you know, are, you know, an actual in-person classroom, but it's videotaped broadcasted, but there's different, you know, there's a whole one on sepsis. There's a critical care, you know, one, there's an FPC one. There's just a bunch of different things or whatever. And, you know, it, it costs out of pocket. What again, you know, how much are you willing to invest and pay into your own self and, and uh, your own knowledge and stuff like that. But yeah, I think it, it, it could be a good thing if used right. But I think with anything uh, drawbacks too. So. Yeah, I think, and not that I'm saying the slippery slope fallacy is a real thing, which it is, but um, uh, my concern would be that this migrates to the preliminary education of the EMT or paramedic, and that, I think, is a very bad thing. Um, I think that's something that we need to be on guard about. I agree with you, Mike, about the benefit of being in a classroom at the same time i think it's very dependent on the individual because i know for i think the four of us sitting here if we were to take our refresher online and we were able to break it up and do half an hour today two hours tomorrow whatever we or would all pay of it attention. the day before it's due we're all of it the day before it's due if you can fit in your you know 36 hours in one day i'm going to be really impressed uh, <laughs> but you know i think there there is also something lost having taught both at, in an academy setting and in a college setting when you keep students in a room for four six eight hours a day by the end of that day they're not paying attention to you either you yeah. know, it's a, it's the same if I tried to watch videos for eight hours. I'm not going to be paying attention, but at least with the videos, I can say, you know what? I've reached my limit for today. I'm going to stop this. I'll come back in two hours, tomorrow, whatever it is, next weekend. Um, you know, I've, I've definitely seen in the, the classroom setting people falling asleep, playing on their phones, doodling. And depending on the setting you're in, um, and depending on the instructor, there, there may be limited ability to really correct or dispel that. You know, if it's one exactly. thing, yeah. maybe in the fire service and an academy uh, or even in a college, but then you have like, you know, here in the volunteer setting, y you have a, a group of people who are 
under no obligation to to be there or pay attention you know what, what do you do how's the instructor correct that i don't know so yeah, if you chastise them they yeah. just won't come next time yeah so or they won't care and they'll keep doing what they're doing i think one way to to work with it and this resolution is working against this way is how we like to structure at least our our paramedic class how myself and our my primary we te- we teach is the first half of the day at least for about 90 95% of the class the first half of the day is didactic we go over powerpoints we have a lecture whatever it is but the afternoon is all hands on it's stuff where you're not sitting down for another 4 hours falling asleep getting that post lunch nap in at the back of the classroom <laughs> and this going fully online and getting away from the skills and the hands-on. Now we're not getting that hands-on where we're getting interactive, getting in class, maybe having small groups where we break up and talk about a call or talk about, hey, you know, let's work through this scenario or something. Let's let's start getting some of this critical thinking going. And we're going to lose that if we go completely online. Yeah, I, you're not wrong. The, the discussion allowed in the in-person setting I think adds a significant deal of both context and value to any class Um, but I think as an option being able to do some of that online is not necessarily a bad thing I again and and this is something that I think comes down to a, a matter of personal responsibility if I know I'm due to recertify my paramedic in, you know, 2024, I should start planning for that now and make myself available to do some online classes, but, or I mean, in-person classes, but sometimes life happens, you know, maybe God forbid my kids get sick or something in that time. and, And this turns out to be a whole thing, you know, um, I have a major career change. I have uh, a move, you know, my wife gets a job in Texas, you know, whatever it is. Um, I think in those cases, having the ability to take these classes online is not a bad thing. Yeah. And for three of the four people here, we're pretty lucky that we work in robust departments that have a system in place to help us with our CE, Mm -hmm. whether directly or indirectly. Um, for the people that don't have that, because I, I sit here having been someone that had my EMT certification in the Army controlled by the Army. My paramedic certificate license is still controlled by the Army technically, but even then my agency would handle it. We have all of our own in-house CE, but the people that don't have that ability, this will help them. Yeah. That are, you know, searching for that that last class in the last two months of their cert- their research, you know, I, I, I got to find the OB class. I got to find the PEDS class. And this will help them, and it, it, this will benefit people. I'm not saying this is, you know, uh, damnation and the apocalypse of our continuing education as paramedics and EMTs. But it, it can lead to bad things, and it can lead to good things. Uh, I think you just have to use it appropriately. And there are those that won't, and there are those that will. Yeah. So that's the reality of uh, I think anything is is you have people who 
do take personal responsibility and go about things in the most proper way and people who take advantage and that's going to happen and that's going to happen no matter what you know um i don't know i don't know how you get around that so i'm i'm on the national registry website i, I was i was curious to research more about how the skills verification occurs uh, and I'm under the NREMT recertification guide and uh, specifically on practice performance. Uh, it says uh, each EMS system across the nation has evolved to meet the individual needs of the community or region it serves. National EMS certification requires competency and education at the local level to best serve specific state and community needs. Continued competency to practice may be validated by psychomotor or skills assessments and other performance measurement tools. Validation of practice performed is the responsibility of the provider's EMS supervisor or training officer at the EMR and EMT levels and validated by the provider's physician medical director at the intermediate AEMT and paramedic levels for active certification. Um, and then I navigated back to what the like the requirements were. Um, and under one of the FAQs, who can sign the uh, uh, who can sign the approve the skills verification, which isn't even a complete that's bad grammar. Who can sign the approve the skills verification for my recertification? And it says uh, for AMT and paramedic, your medical director must approve the skills verification. So I guess there is a requirement at the national registry level, which is they they give it to the medical director. So really, it kind of gives a single point of failure if you have a medical director who maybe isn't as involved and just chooses not to verify. So I don't know how often that would occur. But there, there is that skills uh, requirement. So let me ask this question along that, that line, Moose. How devil's do you advocate. feel? Huh? Devil's advocate. Devil, devil's advocate. I'll give you my devil's <laughs> advocate. <laughs> okay. Or, yeah. How do you feel about, and I've heard of the, I, don't, I can't cite you a specific example, but I've heard there are places where this happens, where a department says, okay, you've performed X number of intubations or X number of decompressions or X number of cardioversions or X number of whatever. My blood pressure is already going up. <laughs> Good. Um, <laughs> so you don't have to prove competency in the lab because you've done it clinically. And I'll give you my thoughts later. But So, okay, so basically they run a report of how many you've done in the field per your EMS documentation system. And then since you've done so many, it, I, I would ask your, I would answer your question with a few more questions. Okay. What are the background? What's the background QA, QI, QM uh, process? Uh, is it robust? And do they actively review those skills to make sure that they are completed competently? If that is the case, then maybe uh, I forgot my other questions, but in the absence of those things, I would say no, because there's no real replacement with a skills verification uh, that is done by someone who's completely outside of your uh, your uh, what is it your 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 realm of influence or whoever the folks you're used to dealing with. Um, I think sometimes you do need a, an objective third party who is in a training division or who is a visit medical director who you know maybe if if only if it's once a year or whatever, but you have someone who's checking your technique because maybe you and all the f people you associate with have been doing something incorrectly the entire time. I would, I mean, honestly, even take it a step further, Moose, I would say even if you do have a robust QA, QI, QM department, that's not acceptable because you should be able to, you should have to prove yourself in the lab setting to your training or QI, QA, QM, or medical director, or who, whoever, whatever power it may be, I think you should have to prove that competency in the lab. I mean, I can document 
20 plus intubations but that doesn't mean I did them properly. Mm -hmm. Nobody's nobody's out there supervising me when I'm in the field intubating people, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm the supervisor. Mm -hmm. So if I intubate somebody- oh, Who polices the police? Right, who polices the police? <laughs> and that's the role of training and QA. Yeah, They need to be the ones to put eyes on me, putting that tube into the mannequin or into mm -hmm. that cadaver and say, okay, your technique is good. My medical director should have to sign off on that 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 medical director or their designee should have to be okay with how I perform that intubation, that decompression, run that code, because I can turn in 150 cardiac arrest reports for this year, and mm -hmm. I'm just making that number up. Mm -hmm. But who's to say I ran any of those competently? Protein. That's kind of gross. <laughs> oh, God. Josh just found a fly in his water. That's, how did that I think that's a fly. That, that's that terrible. Yo, I'm sorry. Yo, me. Yo, you might terrible. have monkey pox. Though. <laughs> oh, yeah. My goodness. Yeah. That's a problem. <laughs> uh, Back to our I special my programming. No, yeah. <laughs> go in, yeah. Go into your thing about the, the made, competency out in the field. Yeah, and stuff like I mean, that. But, yeah. but I mean, I made my point. Like, some somebody has to assess everybody and even you know it shouldn't it shouldn't even just be the field supervisor assessing the crew mm -hmm. right at some point that crew should have a third party independent person forward deploying see mm -hmm. crew resource management not really the proper term <laughs> but um i like that term <laughs> um but no so somebody should be putting eyes on everybody, and it should be exactly like you said, an independent third party who's mm -hmm. not affiliated. Because, like it or not, you know, the, the uh, operational supervisors get to know their crews. They develop, mm -hmm. you know, a, not, maybe not a friendship, but a friendly demeanor with them. Or the opposite. Maybe they don't like them. Or they don't like them. Yeah. Right. Um, then you could be the best intubator in the world and they'll still tell you. And yeah, yeah, you're still doing everything wrong. So I think it pays off to go to the academy or go to the college or go to the medical director or go to the training site and have somebody who doesn't know you say, show me how you intubate. You know, tell me how you're going to run this code. I don't know. I just, I think there's a lot of value in that. And I don't like the idea of these skills, you know, being done so you don't have to prove competency mm. yeah. that's not okay with me i'll let you guys go yeah i'm i'm, I'm monopolize that conversation pretty well <laughs> no i was going to say you from a qa standpoint you got to get the people to actually use the drop downs to be able to pull how many skills and stuff they're mm. doing out in the field that's but true. <laughs> but uh but no like you said the, the biggest point of it is okay i innovated 20 people but did i do them correctly you know it did I just close my eyes and Jesus take the ET tube and we, we were able to successfully innovate? Uh, or, you know, I don't know, did we decompress and turn around? It uh, ended up being in the liver and that was the most significant injury the patient had. Um, I, I think having somebody with, you know, hopefully no real, you know, friendship or working relationship with somebody or whatever would, you know, be the best fair and hopefully balanced person to be able to say, Hey, Nope, you hit it right on the head or, Hey, you know, get with your department and, you know, I'm making a recommendation. They go over some more stuff with you. So mm. how do you manage the trainers though? Cause what if there are folks that have just been in the training Academy for 15 years and 
maybe they're charged with verifying good technique, but aren't. And I, I feel like the answer is just put them back in the field, but I'd love to get your thoughts on that. So how we do it is all of our trainers, both on fire side and EMS side, are not assigned to the academy. They are all field providers or field employees. Mm. So we don't have a permanent fire instructor staff. We don't have a permanent EMS instructor staff. We have people that may manage those programs and those people at the academy or assigned to the academy, but there's no one that is permanently assigned as their primary job to teach at our academy. And so we get people that, you know, for me, when I teach the day before, I'm at work. I'm on a uh, suppression, an ALS suppression piece or a, an ALS transport doing the job that I'm teaching the next day to new paramedics. And so are the people that are teaching the CE that are approving the skills. Um, so, yes, not everyone's going to do it correctly in the field and not everyone's going to be able to evaluate correctly. That's good. That's inherent to any system. Um, but I think the, 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 the one hang up to the independent evaluator is the logistics of it. The agency that has 10 paramedics. Okay. Probably not too hard because they're probably all not on the same research schedule. But the agency that has 400 paramedics, how do you get an outside agency to come in and, and we'll just theorize that 200 of them are on odd years and 200 have been on even years to get an independent person to evaluate their skills every two years is a logistical nightmare. Yeah. I guess I wasn't thinking about it that way in terms of an outside agency. I just, I guess more so meant in like someone who doesn't have that active working relationship, but the same, the same thing applies. The same thing applies whether it's an independent like evaluator from an outside agency or an internal person. That's just to kind of build off of what you said, uh, Ken. So you, you theorize the person that, or the agency that, uh, skill verify off of your performance in the field. What if you're a teacher? What if you're teaching the skills? Does that verify your skills? It shouldn't. Well, I think in national registry, you can use hours that you Mm -hmm. teach. You can. 100%. Yep. I've done that. Yeah. So, yeah, just a little bit of rabbit hole. But you're right, Josh. that, That shouldn't count. It shouldn't be good enough for me to teach somebody how to intubate there should be somebody evaluating my ability to intubate. This might be getting edited out so I don't get audited by the NRMT next year. <laughs> no, but, but but that's the thing, Moose. It's Never been audited. It's, this gets published. Like, oh, it's not against the rules. <laughs> it's not against the rules. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's right. it's, yeah. it's completely right. acceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how how can anyone penalize someone for playing within the rules? What's your? I just disagree with the rules. What's your, what's your process? So for me, I print out the schedule and then get like verified pay stubs yeah in case they ask for proof i just i print out the schedule and provide the contact information for the program director that's all oh, i've done i like that i just like having those pay stubs so i can prove that I yeah my my agency handles it same handles what the, so from teaching they're going to the rule at least the last time was 70 you had to teach 75 percent of the class or be like an instructor for 75% of the class, and then they would sign off for your skills for that year. And that was just done within the, the academy 75% office. of like the cohort? Yes. Oh, uh, interesting. Because 
I just do, do that hours. Hour. Yeah, yeah, I just do it like because we do four. Well, and I, I mean, that, that was just from one of the program directors mm-hmm. at the time. That okay. could have changed. Because we do four hour blocks, and I'll 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 take the topic mm-hmm. and at- attach it to whatever because it varies by year, like what I teach. Yeah. Interesting. That, so, how does that work for you? So, um, I can't uh, attest to the training thing. I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm just in regards to all our training. Every two years, we get told to go in and mark off on the national registry. Mm. So our training department throws everything in. But again, we do everything throughout the year that all encompasses and everything we do gets submitted to them anyway. Mm-hmm. And then they submit everything. So you don't even have to include the stuff you teach. There's no need because you already have it done. No. I just got to go in every two years and uh, hit uh, submit whenever mm-hmm. it's that time. So they submit everything for us, all the con ed we do. through our, We have our own training department, which, you know, similar to you guys, they're our designated training department, but they're also always picking up shifts out in the field. Anyway, mm-hmm. their hours are, are kind of split. They'll teach the new RTs or, or crew chief upgrades, but mm-hmm. they'll also do out in the field and just regular crew work. And then we have other uh, officers who will do, like, check rides and do, like, the evaluation of everybody or whatever. So pretty much right under the medical director. And so everybody gets held to all the same standards in regards to their ability so interesting i have so many other questions i'm not going to ask you right now yeah i'm going to ask you offline sounds good yeah it's almost 30 minutes i think this is close to an end yeah yeah Yeah. this is good absolutely thanks for coming on oh i was happy to happy to get the invite and finally uh anytime finally come in so yeah we'll have to bring you back for the original topic idea yeah (laughs) perfusion yeah (laughs) maybe two months from now yeah can you finish that? Thank oh, you, Josh. Also, oh. thank you. Sorry. Afterthought. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired, man. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thank you, everybody, for listening to Alert Medic One. Please give us a like, rating, review. Share us on social media, and have a wonderful day, night. And please don't upset your QA, QI, QM department. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Alert Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts, Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner.